0: And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. We are finishing up our series of The King is Coming, dealing with the different things, speaking about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've been hitting things in fairly chronological order of what's going to happen in our future dealing with the rapture, that the calling away of God's people after that seven years of tribulation on this earth for the purpose of bringing the Hebrew people back to the Lord. That after that, Jesus Christ is going to come back and he is going to defeat all of the armies of the world that are going to attempt to stand against him, followed by the millennial kingdom. The millennial kingdom is the fulfillment of promises to the Hebrew people. Now we are a part of that because we are going to be the servants working alongside the Lord Jesus Christ in order to work with the Hebrew people. Now as we reach the end of it we have three more messages that we are going to do on this to try to wrap up the end of time prophecy dealing with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to the book of Revelation chapter 20. The Revelation chapter 20. Now where we had left off is that Satan was judged thrown into a prison for a thousand years. The millennial kingdom unfolds without Satan plaguing the people and then at the end of the millennial kingdom something significant is going to happen. Notice with me the book of Revelation chapter 20 and notice with me in verse number 7. Revelation 20 in verse number 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. The number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breath of the earth, and compassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them were cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And with this, we're going to see when Satan goes to his eternal abode, the final ending of Satan himself. Now, there are some Bible themes (laughs) that are found throughout the Bible and the doctrine of Satan is one of them. When we look around and we look and kind of see how (laughs) Satan has interacted in the world, where he came from, what he's doing and what his future are, they help kind of place something in in, uh, our minds now. One of them is that Satan is not equal with God. That's one thing that is very apparent. Satan is not equal with God. One of the ideas that has kind of been floating around because of religion is that there's an idea that there has to be a yin and a yang, that the forces of good are in constant battle with the forces of evil. And what happens is that they are in contention with each other and they have to be in balance. And if they're not in balance, then everything falls apart. The problem with that is that it's not reality. Satan is not co-equal or co-powerful with God. He is not an equal standing with God. May I prove that to you? Turn with me if you don't mind. We'll come back to Revelation 20 in just a bit. But turn with me to the book of Job. The book of Job in chapter number one. Now we know that Satan is not co-equal and co-powerful with God. How do we know that? First of all, that Satan himself was created by God. Amen. That God had no creator, he has no ending and no, big, no end, God's the one who created time in the first place. Satan is a created being and he was created by God. That by the definition shows that Satan is inferior to God because he was created With that being created, he served God for a while, for up to 100 years in the Garden of Eden, that Satan was a servant of God. He was meant to be a musical instrument, created as a musical instrument. His idea was that he was supposed to be the choir director of all of heaven and the universe to direct praise to God. Well, after about 100 years of that, he said, why? I'm doing all the work. Why is God getting the credit for it? the credit should go to me. And we have the great I wills found in the book of Isaiah. I will be like the most high. I will sit on the uh, Mount of the North. And Satan says, I am going to be God. I'm going to overthrow him. But again, we're showing that Satan is not co-equal, co-powerful with God. When he says God's up there and I want to get up there, it shows that Satan is down lower. He is not co-equal, co-powerful with God. By the way, no matter what Satan's attempts were, he can never overthrow God. But just to illustrate a little bit more that Satan is not in balance with God, nor is he co-equal or co-powerful with God. Notice with me the book of Job chapter one. (laughs) Job chapter one, and notice with me in verse six. Job chapter one in verse six. Notice if you don't mind, Job chapter 1 and verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came up also among them. Now notice, they're going up to God. Satan has access to heaven. A lot of people don't understand this, but Satan is not in hell. Satan does not want to go to hell. Satan is not the ruler of hell. Where is he at now? He is currently... Uh, running things on this world, he is also currently has access to heaven. What's he doing? Well, let's read on. Verse number seven. And the Lord said to Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, from walking up and down it. And the Lord said to Satan, "Hast thou considered my servant Job? Now pause. Notice that all of a sudden God jumps into the conversation. Have you considered my servant Job? We feel like we're missing part of the conversation. Well, partly because we are. Satan had something in his mind and God said it out loud before Satan could say anything out loud. Satan wanted to tell God, listen, you're not worthy of worship And you go ahead and allow something bad to happen to man, they'll stop serving you. And so before Satan could say anything, God's already given the answer. And he says, have you considered my servant Job? That uh, there is none like him in the earth, perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. So Satan's fixing to tell God, you're not worthy of worship. And God says, have you considered Job? So notice Satan's response, verse 9. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hath not thou made him a hedge about him, and his house, and all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and the substance is increased, in the land. So Satan says, listen, Job's not a good example because you put a hedge of protection around him. There are all kinds of good things happening to Job. So as long as good things are happening to Job, of course, he's going to praise your name. You go and let something bad happen to him and you watch how quickly he crumbles. May we pause? Aren't you glad we're not used as evidence in this mm-hmm. thing because we would mess us up and Satan would be, I told you so, which is by the way, exactly what Satan is doing right now. When he's has access to heaven, he, according to the Bible, is looking down and saying, God, you're not worthy of worship. You see that Christian who claims to be your kid? You see how bad they're complaining right now? That's because you're not a good God. That's exactly what Satan's doing. Satan uses us as evidence to try to show God that he is not good. How do I know you're not good, God? See, your people complain. See, your people, look, they won't even obey you. Hey, look at you. They won't even pay attention to church. And they call, see, why? You're not worth it, God. Satan is accusing us before God day and night. And unfortunately, he's got lots of ammunition. Mm-hmm. That's why God headed him off and said, Have you considered Job? All right, so, <laughs> verse number 11. But put forth thy hand, Satan's still talking to God now, but put forth thy hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. You go ahead and let bad things happen, and he'll be just like everyone else. He'll tell you, God, that you're not worthy. He'll murmur, he'll complain, he'll be a grump about it. Verse number 12, and the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he hath is in thy power only upon himself. Put forth not thy hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. So again, showing that Satan doesn't have co-equal powers. Here, God says, here's parameters. You can't cross that. And Satan has to obey God. So listen, Satan, who is a fallen angel who hates God, wants to overthrow him, still has to obey God. You know, there's only one creature in God's creation that freely disobeys God all the time. That's us. We're so disobedient. We're more disobedient than Satan. Have you ever thought about that? That's a powerful thought. You are more disobedient than Satan. God can give parameters to Satan and Satan has to follow it. God gives us parameters all the time and we fall asleep and think about something else. Amen. Oops. So we could see that Satan has access to heaven. But the point that we're putting here is that he is not a yin and yang. He is not the forces of evil being in balance with the forces of good. We could see that God is God over all, and everything else is under his dominion, his power, his authority, his reign. So Satan reigns. Where is Satan at right now? He rules on this earth. The book of Ephesians says that he is the prince and power of the air. Colossians chapter 4 says that he is the God of this world. Christ Jesus refers to Satan as the prince of this world. If you don't mind, may I show you something interesting in the book of Revelation? The book of Revelation, I believe it's chapter 4, going off memory now. But again, trying to show what Satan is doing and that he doesn't have equal power and equal thing. Notice, if you don't mind, the book of Revelation. Give me just a second. That's what happens when I go off of memory and having something. All right, not finding it on an instant look at. But what it was talking about in the letters of the Revelation, Revelation chapters 2 and 3, there is one church that he makes reference to that he said is the synagogue of Satan. There it is, verse number 9. Revelation 2, 9. He's talking to the church of Smyrna, and he says, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them that say that there are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. It will bring this point up a little bit more, uh, verse number 13. And I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. This is the church of Pergamos. So he says, this is where Satan's seat is. What it's implying is that Satan, he is stuck in a location. He can only be one place at a time at once. That he is not omnipresent like God. Satan is, can only be at one place at one time. What does that also mean? That most of you are never even Satan's radar. <laughs> we like to say Satan's fighting again. He probably doesn't even know who you are. If he's stuck in one location at a time, now he could travel fast, we could admit that, and that he could kind of move. But if he is stuck in one location, he doesn't know everything and he can't be everywhere at once. That means he has to pick and choose his battles. Now that doesn't mean that he doesn't have an army of people that also answer to him. And, but Satan is, again, stuck in location and time. Do you know Satan can't, has to go through time the same way that you and I go through? He can't go backwards and he can't go forwards. He travels one day at a time like we do. That means that Satan is limited. God knows everything. He could be everywhere at once and every time at once. He is not co-equal and co-powerful. But Satan currently, present tense, is the God of the air, God of this earth. That's one of the reasons why everything's falling apart is because he's in charge And he's got plans and he's working the whole world to be against God, to overthrow God, to cause people to think against the Lord. We know that Satan is very much alive and well. This is why we as Christians, because Satan is alive and well and the ruler of this world, this is why we're commanded to put on the whole armor of God. Why? Because Satan is trying to fight against everything and his forces are trying to fight against everything that is good, right, that is with the Lord. And we have to put on our armor daily to withstand the wiles of the devil because he's the guy who's running the place. He's in charge right now. God's the God of the universe, but Satan's the one running everything. That causes things to be very interesting, isn't it? So Satan's ruling on the earth, but again, he is stuck in location, he's stuck in time, he is not as powerful as God, he can't overthrow God, and he still has to obey God. Notice we see something else, Satan's removal from the earth. In Revelation 20, at the end of the tribulation and before the um, millennial kingdom, Satan is cast into a prison in chains. The angel is going to drag him into change. The book of, Isaiah, book of Isaiah says that we're going to look at him and say, this is it? This is the guy that bothered us? Once again, putting an idea that Satan is a lot smaller than we think we are. He is not co-equal with God, powerful with God. We're going to look at him being dragged into his holding chamber for a thousand years and say, this is it? This is the guy we were all afraid of. This is the guy that we were all just worried about. This is it. Aren't you glad we have a God who is much more bigger and powerful than Satan is? That we can look at God and everything else seems smaller in comparison. All of our problems are smaller. We have to keep our eyes on the Lord. But Satan is going to be removed. And for a thousand years during the millennial kingdom, Satan is not going to have any influence. Jesus is going to run a perfect government. Jesus is going to take over and become the God of this world. Satan is going to be locked away. Jesus is going to rule on this earth for a thousand years. No Satan, no influences, no evil forces. They're going to be locked away. But after a season... Satan is going to be released after the thousand-year reign of Christ. Notice back with me in our text, Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20. And notice with me in verse number 7. Revelation 20 and verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Now, there's a lot of questions to be asked here. If Satan has been locked away for a thousand years, who are the people that he's getting to be in his army? Well, remember that during the millennial kingdom, there are going to be three groups of people. There are going to be the resurrected saints. So all of us who accepted Christ before the rapture, we are going to be there with brand new redeemed bodies that will not be able to sin against God. And we are going to rule and reign with Christ in the millennial kingdom to help administrate. A second group of people that's going to be in the millennial kingdom are going to be the Hebrew people that survived the tribulation, that didn't take the mark of of Satan, of the Antichrist. They're going to enter into the millennial kingdom with their natural bodies, the same bodies that you and I currently have. These bodies can sin like your bodies can sin, and they're going to be able to reproduce Which brings us to the third group of people. You're going to have a group of people who are going to be born in the millennial kingdom who have never known what the world before was like. Remember, God is going to reestablish Garden of Eden conditions so they're going to be born there's going to be very little deaths you could live a thousand years, you're going to have if you broke, break a bone, you're going to heal overnight. There are going to be tons of births and very few deaths you want to talk about a population explosion, it is going to explode that's why Jesus needs us to administrate because there's going to be lots of people that are going to be needed to take care of, that are going to have sin natures just like you and I currently do present tense right now. And that as much as you would like to be righteous, everybody has squabbles, everyone has misunderstandings, everyone gets into, mine, mine, get your hands off of me, quit touching me. I mean, just working with children. And we're going to help administrate and solve those problems, solve those issues. Well, just because we're living in a perfect government with a perfect world, with a perfect (laughs) ruler, no Satan running around, doesn't mean that everyone is going to respond the way that they should. There are going to be plenty of people who do not accept Jesus as their Savior. Remember, they still have a sin nature, and because of that, they're still going to need to accept Christ as their personal Savior. Now, things are going to be different because you have a perfect government, perfect thing, and if you want to meet Jesus, we can say, let's make an appointment, let's go meet Jesus. Here, you talk to them face to face. We have to believe by faith that Christ is real. They get to go meet him. And even then, there are going to be people that say, ah, no, I don't want to get saved. Remember, Mm -hmm. Jesus will never force people to get saved. It is a conscious choice that people have to make to accept Christ's gift. So there are going to be many people in a perfect environment, perfect world, who still will not accept Christ as their savior. And if you could imagine how evil people are, and we don't have to imagine, we know how evil people are, that even in a perfect society, a perfect ruler, perfect government, perfect everything, the people like, we don't want Jesus to tell us what to do anymore. So when Satan pops up and says, here, I'll give you an alternative, they would still rather choose a locked up prisoner for a thousand years. In fact, I, in my mind's eye, can imagine people, oh, it's not right that they locked you up for a thousand years. It's not fair. I don't think they should have done that. Oh, fine, you want to take over the government? We'll we'll go with you just because we don't think it's right. You almost hear people say that. And so... People will join Satan's side even when they have Jesus that they've been able to know for a thousand years, will still join Satan's side because they don't want Christ's authority in their life. That's exactly what happens today. There's lots of people who do not want to read their Bible, go to church, or listen to a Christian because they don't want God's authority in their life. As we're seeing, no matter what environment you put people in, they're still going to mess up. Some people have asked over the years, why go through this? You just had the millennial kingdom. Why not just jump straight into heaven and forget this? Well, part of it is a lesson. (laughs) We know that if we start at heaven right after the tribulation, you'd have billions of people who would not be born that are going to be born in the millennial kingdom. And Jesus is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. He wants them to be saved as well. But... Beyond that, it also proves that no matter what uh, environment you put man into, he is going to fail. Uh, this is one of the big things of pushes between socialism and communism and some of these other things, is they look and they say, if we can make people equal, if we can make it so everyone has the same uh, weaknesses, same strengths, same uh, economic society, same influence. If we make everything equal, then people won't find, uh, have any reason to fight or squabble. What we find is that when you put them in that environment, they're still going to fail. Why? Because we're sinners. We have a sin nature. There's something about us that is not satisfied, left to our own devices. So if you look Every dispensation, and that's a term we have called for the different environments that God has put us with. Now, in these dispensations, there's not a different salvation. Salvation has always been through faith by grace, or by faith through grace, grace through faith, something like that. Forgive me. Uh, But it has never been of works. What it is, is that there's been different environments. So you start with the Garden of Eden, the age of innocence. They are perfect, And they have one rule. You could have think, just think. One rule. Can you manage to keep one rule? No, they messed up. They had to say, well, God said you could have all of the other fruit. Everything else is yours, just not this one. This one's mine. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing poisonous with it. It's still good for you. The only thing that makes it wrong is that I said this is mine and I want it for myself but it's not fair and it's not right. I want it. And so they took it. Yeah. So a man failed when there's one rule and they're all perfect. You set him in the next environment, which is conscience, all right? There's no rules. You just determine what's right based off of what you, you think is right. Well, we know that doesn't work mm-hmm. because people said, I believe it's right for me to kill you. And they did. The problem was there's no consequences. You do whatever you think is right, and it became the wild, wild west. It just did not work out well. God said, oops. He didn't say, oops, forgive me. He looked down and said, man failed and messed up. I gave them opportunity. They couldn't do this. So then we went to the dispensation of government. What is the dispensation of government? The very first thing that God did when Noah walked off the ark is establish uh, corporal punishment, capital punishment. If you commit murder... You are to be put to death. Who is to put you to death? A government institution. God instituted government for the purpose of punishing evildoers. He says, fine, let's put you in a society that government is the one that helps regulate, make sure, punish evildoers. Did man thrive in that society? Not at all. All right, so let's put you in a society where you need everything spelled out. Let's give you 613 rules. That way everything's spilled out, everything about your diet, how you live, how you operate. Let's see how well you survive that. Well, they survived so well, they didn't even last 40 days before they broke the Ten Commandments. And they didn't survive past that. Now we currently, present tense, live in the... Um, dispensation of grace. What is this dispensation? The dispensation of grace is that we've accepted Jesus as our personal savior. There is no laws. Our only responsibility as Christians is to keep our eyes on God. And if we keep our eyes on God, we're going to do what's right. The problem is, is we don't keep our eyes on God. And we as Christians mess everything up. You didn't live a perfect life yesterday. Neither did I. You're not going to live a perfect life today. Probably by the end of the service, you're already going to be grumbling. <laughs> it doesn't take long. We, we don't have rules. We don't have laws. Our job is to keep our eyes on God. And as we follow after him, we'll do what's right. But we can't keep our eyes on him and we keep messing up. We have the freedom to do whatever we want and the freedom to follow after him. And we mess up. We don't have to serve God. We get to serve God. So God is going to put us in a different dispensation, the dispensation of the millennial kingdom, no Satan, perfect government, perfect ruler, perfect environment, everything's perfect, everyone's equal, everyone's, and yet there's going to be tons of people that will refuse to accept Jesus as their savior because they don't want God to rule over them. And they're going to rebel, and they'd rather join Satan, who's been locked up as a prisoner for a thousand years, than listen to a perfect uh, ruler who's loved them and cared for them and provided for them for a thousand years. No matter what environment you put man in, he fails. And that's what the purpose of, because. We in our brilliance have so many books about if you just put man in a perfect environment, we'll thrive. If you get rid of atrocities, if you get rid of inequalities, you get rid of this, everyone will thrive. We will not. We will find a way to mess it up. So Satan's going to be released for a season. What's going to happen to him? Verse number 10, and the devil that deceived them were cast into the lake of fire and brimstone with a... Beast and false prophet are, and they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So Satan's final reward is in hell. That's the place he doesn't want to go. Satan doesn't rule hell. He's not going to own hell. He's not going to direct hell. Hell is Satan's punishment. It was made to punish uh, an eternal being called Satan. Now, if it was made to torture Satan, how bad is it for any human that goes there? A whole lot worse. A place that no one wants to go if they knew what it was like. And by the way, someone where no one has to go because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ but we could see a quick little synopsis of Satan's life from beginning to end. And that once again, we see that he is not co-equal with God. He is not co-powerful with God. He is subservient to God. He has to answer to God. He is limited and God is not. And one day he is going to be cast away from God forever and ever and ever. That God still wins And is not threatened by Satan and his forces. Satan has always been used as a catalyst to show man, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. We're not perfect. This is one of the big important teachings that we find in Revelation 20. With the backdrop of using Satan, we fail in every environment. We need Jesus. So, do you believe that? Do you believe that you need Jesus? Or do you think that there's some environment that you could be placed in some situation where you're going to somehow be able to live perfect by yourself without God's help? No matter what we're placed into, what environment, no matter what thing you think in your life, well, if I just had this, my life would be better. If I just had this. No, what you need most of all is you need the Lord and God can satisfy your needs. God can take care of those. That's what we should be looking for even now.